Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. It's Shana from How To ABA. And I'm here with Shira, and uh, it's our second podcast episode, and uh, we are here to highlight ourselves and say who we are and how we got into the field. So Shira has just given me the instruction of, Shana, just talk. Okay, Shira, I'll just talk. (laughs) Can this be interview style? Nope, just talk. Okay. Um, so I'm Shana. I've been a BCBA since 2005, but I've actually been working in the field of ABA since 1997. Wow. And when I put it out there like that, it does seem like a long, long time. And uh, just to put it into perspective, I now interview staff and they have birthdays that are, you know, sooner than when I got into the field. And I think it's really great that, um, you know, they want to work with this old lady. Um, Anyway, how did I get into the field, Uh, everything like that? Um, Well, I graduated from school and I went into sales and marketing. I had a psychology degree and I had no idea what to do with a psychology degree. I wanted to help people but didn't know how. So an opportunity presented itself in sales and marketing and I got into it and within a week I absolutely hated it. Um, I have never been somebody who looks at the clock and counts down the hours until the end of work. And that's exactly what I was doing. It was Tuesday. And I'm like, okay, how many more hours till Friday? It was just awful. I hated it. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, I was away at my friend's cottage and uh, I was talking to her aunt. And I didn't realize this at the time, but her aunt was a doctor who works with kids with autism. And she diagnoses or at the time diagnosed kids with autism. And we started talking and she said, well, you know, telling her about how I didn't really like my job and what I do. And she said, well, have you ever heard of autism? And have you ever heard of ABA? And I said, no, like, tell me more about this. And, you know, she about ABA and early intervention. And I was, wow, this is amazing. This is right up my alley. This is something that I would love to do. Um, And I was super fortunate because she put me in touch with the right people. And, uh, you know, I went for an interview and I thought it was a volunteer position. So I said, okay, well, I'll do this. And here's some time that I can allot to it. And, you know, at the end of the interview, the person said to me, well, and Shana, this is how much you get paid. And I said, 
I get paid for this? Wow, this is amazing. So I did two training shifts and I quit my job. I quit my sales and marketing job and I went into ABA full-time and I absolutely loved it. And I should tell you that the starting wage for an ABA therapist in 1997 was $10 an hour, but $5 an hour to train. And when you're living downtown Toronto, $5 an hour was absolutely nothing. So I was a waitress on the side and I was a waitress for a few years before I got off the ground. But I got into this field and I loved it. I knew that this was my calling, if you could even say that back then. Um, I just was, I was so passionate about um, these kiddos and, you know, I really saw the gains almost right away. You know, I started working immediately with, you know, my very first client, you know, we had to desensitize him to lights in a grocery store. And I remember going, I get, paid. This is a job that I need to walk around a grocery store with a student. Like he's amazing. Um, and you know, just the gains that we got out of that. And within a few weeks, it was, you know, so life-changing for not only the student, but for the parents as well, they could finally take him into the community because after a few weeks of desensitization, he could go places where there's fluorescent lights. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. You know, and then I started working with another student and, you know, we were teaching him communication skills and he started talking and he started requesting and this light, I, I had no idea really the theory behind ABA. It was just, okay, follow what my supervisor's doing and do the same. And that was my training back then. And it was just, it was incredible though, the change that um, in terms of just the the, the families, um, you know, and the, the, the skill advancement in these students. And it was incredible. And that's what got me hooked. So it was probably around, I don't know, two to three years later, I met um, somebody in the field, uh, Bridget Taylor from the States. And I cornered her one time, she was consulting um, at one of my clients places. And I remember cornering her before she left. And uh, I said, listen, is there any way I can work for you? How do I get down to the States? And how do I do what you do? And I think I interrogated her at the door as she's looking her, at her watch going, I'm going to miss my flight. Um, and it was, it was so incredible. Um, so I actually got that opportunity and I went down to the States for a while and, you know, learned in the U.S. And at that time, the U.S. was probably about 10 years ahead of Canada in terms of ABA. So it wasn't until I was about two to three years into the field that I actually got formal ABA training. And I laugh now because lots of people go through school and, you know, it's the field's just so much more advanced, but people go to school now and it's not until they have their RBT that people are actually working with kiddos. And I did the opposite, right? I started working with clients and got that hands on before I had any theory behind me. Um, so that's how I started. Uh, when I got back from the U.S., I became the director of a center for autism up in Toronto, Canada, and I'm still in Toronto. I'm at a different center, but um, that's how I started. And um, it was really challenging. I was 26 years old and, you know, had to, I was the director. So I was in charge of you know, training staff. I was also in charge of talking to parents and saying, hey, parents, this is how you do these things with your, you know, with your children and everything else. And I had to prove myself at that young of an age and, you know, basically say, I'm good enough to be here. Um, and back then there was really the board, like the BACB wasn't set up. It wasn't regulated back then. So it was just trust me because you need to trust me on this. Um, was That was probably a huge challenge back then. Um, you know, I'm curious, what was, um, you know, being as long ago as it was, what was the supervision process like then? Like, what was it like? Do you feel like your training, you know, even prepared you for working in the field? I know what it's like now and they keep adding hours and increasing the supervision, but I imagine back then it was very different. 
So my first training shift in 1997 was uh, at a grocery store and um, my supervisor was with me and said, okay, this is what you're doing. And this, this is, this is what I'm doing. And this is why follow me around. My second training shift was at home and she showed me the programs and, and that was that. And then I think after that, I was on my own. And we had team meetings every two weeks whereby, you know, the supervisor would come in and I would, you know, do some work with the students and she would give me feedback. Um, I don't even think we did much graphing back then. It was really just, okay, work with this. And then the supervisor would come in and I think the supervisor collected some probe data and then said, try this or do this or change that. Um, and that was my supervision. And that I, here you go. Um it Was wasn't it hours, and hours for your BCBA? Uh, well, I didn't. I wasn't working towards my BCBA. I had no idea what a BCBA was. And then it wasn't until I was the director at a center <laughs> that I had the opportunity to do a master's degree because there wasn't anything like that that even existed. So we're talking now, probably two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Um, the BACB came out. So first of all you know, existed or, you know, became a thing and said, hey, there's something called a BCABA and a BCBA and here's what you have to do. So my supervision down in the States actually just covered that because I was working at a center down there and I was working full time for a year and I was working under nobody had a BCBA back then, but I was working under somebody who was qualified and could write her BCBA and actually has obviously since them, but she had, you know, her PsyD and that counted. So she signed off on my hours and I was just able to go and write the exam. And back then writing the exam physically meant writing an exam. I had a paper and a pencil and I was filling in dots on a form. And that's what writing the exam was back then. Um, so I got my BCABA, um, but wanted to go further than that. So I, um, I found a master's program and I was really, really fortunate because Toronto had nothing back then. Like I said, they were probably 10 years behind where they were in the States. And the U.S. had set up a whole bunch of, or I wouldn't say a whole bunch, but was starting to set up master's programs in ABA at the time. So an agency in Toronto said, hey, we'll do a cohort up here. And they actually partnered with uh, the University of Nevada, Reno. And they flew professors up to Toronto and we actually did classes in Toronto and uh, on weekends. And I remember, you know, talking to my boyfriend slash husband now, it, you know, wasn't my husband back then, but talking and saying, you know, is, I think this is something I want to do, but it's my weekends. And do I work full time? Do I go down to part time? But I've got this director job. I don't think I can. Maybe I shouldn't do this right now. It's not the right time. And, you know, his advice to me was, Shana, time is going to pass anyway. Time's going to pass. Just get it done. You have no other responsibilities right now. You know, I wasn't married. I didn't have any kids. I, you know, <laughs> had some friends, but they understood because this is what I needed to do. And it was one to two weekends a month. And he was right. Time passed and time passed. I attended these classes and I loved it so much that it wasn't work for me. I mean, it was hard for sure. And, you know, having to get assignments and things done, but, you know, it wasn't like I was giving up my weekend for this thing. It was going to these classes and getting the opportunity. My professors were Dr. James Carr, Dr. Linda LeBlanc, Dr. Larry Williams, Mark Alavosius. Like I had such amazing professors that I would go every weekend and go, I get to listen to him today. Oh my gosh, I get to see her today. It was just, it was incredible. And, you know, now I read journal articles and I'm like, oh, you know, 
so-and-so wrote that. And, you know, I'm like, oh, Hank, you know, Hank Williams, Doug, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, Hank Rowan wrote that, you know, oh, so-and-so wrote that because they were my profs and that's, it was just, it was great. So, um, you know, I did that. And then as soon as I was done that, um, back then that would be 2005. Um, I graduated in August and I wrote my exam in December. Um, the way it worked is I did like the, I was working throughout it and we had an intensive practicum supervisor attached to the school. So I was able to just get my, I just had my supervision hours through going to school and was able to write the exam. And I think it was computerized in 2005. Wow, they've come far. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of how I started. Um, like I said, I you know I was at a center for a while in Toronto, and then I for a bit and I've done, you know, I was a therapist and, you know, then I was the director of a center. Then I was a consultant pri privately working in people's homes, you know, and then I set up a social skills center. Um, and now I run a private clinic in Toronto doing both social skills and one-to-one uh, -one therapy. And uh, I've got an amazing team of therapists and, uh, you know, I have some BCBAs working for me as well as some RBTs, as well as some people who are, you know, working towards their RBT or working towards their master's. And I love it. I love the energy that we all bring. So if any of you have seen um, what the programs that are in the behavior resource or even on how to ABA, some of our free materials, um, a lot of that is like Shana's brain on paper. Like she just kind of thinks in program descriptions. She's a, a master program writer. Um, some of it, I mean, I've had the benefit of learning and being trained by her, but I don't think I could even write programs that way. Um, and a lot of it is, is like, it's, it's super helpful um, to the field, but a lot of it is, is hard for people. I know for people coming into the field really don't have that skill. If there's something that like you could share with somebody trying to get better at that, is there something that you could help them with? I always say this, Shira, and you're going to roll your eyes, but my high school English teacher always said, keep it simple, stupid, right? That acronym of KISS, keep it simple. And that's what I've really tried to, um, you know, disseminate over the years is, you know, I, like I said, I came into a position, I was 26 years old, how am I going to get people to listen to me? Yeah, I can throw out fancy terminology and everything else. But at the end of the day, what really makes a huge difference is that kids are learning and kids are progressing. How do kids progress? When people understand how to teach them. The only way to make people understand how to teach them is to break things down, right? So, so, you know, training therapists, they don't need fancy terminology. They need do this, watch me. Now you try it. Parents, same thing. You know what, parents, I don't, you don't need training. You need support and coaching, but you don't need training because you're the parent. But do this, watch me, let's try. Period. So way back when behavior skills training wasn't even a thing, you know, that's what I was doing. So as a result, I really do just think simplistically. And, you know, <laughs> I'm blushing right now, but everything really is comes down to a program for me. Okay, you don't have that skill. Let's take that, you know, overall skill and break it down into smaller components. And what would that look like? And how would you teach that? Yeah, and something that you mentioned about you know, being able to jump in there and do it. I think that's something that you've always done. And you don't just tell people what to do or write it on paper, but you're willing to show it. And I don't know if you remember, before I even knew I was going to be a BCBA, the first time we met, and at this point, it was like my first job as a therapist. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just saw this person come in and like take over and like start working with the kid and knew what to do. And I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. Like that, that's my job. Um, so, so it's been, 
you know, it's, it's really important to remember that even, even as a BCBA or whatever your role is that to not really be afraid to get in there and continue to enjoy what you do and working with the kids and modeling and, and showing therapists how to, how to really get it done. I think being a therapist, not, I think, I know that being a therapist first really, really helped me as being an ABA consultant and a BCBA. Um, you know, without that therapy experience myself, I would never be able to say, Hey, let me get in the chair and let me try this. Um, you know, partly the reason I love to get in the chair is because I love it. I love working with the kids. Um, you know, one of the best advice that someone ever gave me was access your reinforcement. You know, what, whatever you do on a daily basis, make sure that you can access your reinforcement. And, you know, what's that reinforcement for me? It's the kiddos. You know, I do this because I like to see clients. I love them. I love that interaction. And I love that, that, that feeling they give me. And that's probably selfish, but half the reason that, you know, I bump therapists out of the chair and say, let me get in there and teach is because I love it. I love making kids laugh. I love seeing that learning. I love seeing that progression. So being able to jump in and be fluent and fluent enough in the programs and confident enough with what you're doing is one thing. And then, you know, as you said, like as a therapist, having a therapist be able to watch the supervisor do versus just stand there with a clipboard and say, try this. Oh, how about this? Okay. You try this. It's way easier. What, what do they say? A picture tells a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would be um, your best advice for a newly minted BCBA who's just coming into the field who may or may not have had practical experience um, and they're just, you know, ready to conquer the world. What would you tell them? I would say number one, keep that enthusiasm. You know, you might be scared, Keep that enthusiasm, though, because that is really contagious, and that's what matters the most is that enthusiasm. Um, Number two, um, great. Be confident. You know, even if you're not, fake it for a while. Be confident. I mean, there's a difference between telling people that you know something when you don't, but there's also the difference of like, hey, you know what? I really do know what I'm doing. I went to school, and I really do know what I'm doing. So have that confidence in yourself. You are better than you think you are, and you can do it. That was going to be the best advice anyone ever gave me. Oh, Shira, (laughs) because I gave it to you. (laughs) But more on next episode. Um, So my next thing I wanted to, you know, ask you from being in the field for so long, right? um, What are we at? Like 20 plus years, would you say? But Shira, I'm only 29. I can't be that long. Well, you started when you were, I don't know. (laughs) Do the math. (laughs) you know, you've seen the good, bad, and the ugly, obviously, of the field, hopefully more good than bad, but so much has changed, I'm sure, since you started. Um, knowing where we are today, if there was one thing you think that the field really still needs to work on or change, what would it be? When I first started in the field, you know, there was something called a no-no prompt. And the no-no prompt meant, um, you know, it wasn't errorless teaching. It was, hey, kid, figure this out for yourself. So if you had two colors and one was red and one was blue, and you said, touch the blue, and the student touched the red, you would just say no. You wouldn't say this one's blue. You'd just, nope. You know, and then it's like, touch the red. And they, they do something different. Nope. And it's not until that third time you would prompt. Um, you know, and we did that with a lot of things. And it just it almost seems cruel. Like if I were learning a different language and I didn't know what something was, why is someone not going to just tell me 
And then, you know, like it, it doesn't make sense to me now, but you know, I was a kid and I didn't ask questions and, and that's just what we did. Um, so that's one thing, but you know, this whole movement of compassionate care and compassion training and, you know, talking to caregivers and being passionate or compassionate and, you know, being compassionate with learners, this shouldn't be a movement. It just should be, um, you know, it's something that, you know, we all, should have been doing all along. Um, and if you're, you know, older in the field, you know what I mean in terms of like, well, why didn't we do that back then? Um, and maybe most of us did, but it still needs to be disseminated. Get it out there. Like, you know, the the kiddos who we're working with or the individuals, the youth, the teenagers, the adults we're working with are individuals, period. They're human beings. And we need to make sure that we know that um, as well as parents, you know, parents are parents and, you know, they have a child regardless of whether their child is 30 or 50, they're still a child to that parent. And, you know, that child, that parent has been through a lot and is probably burnt out. And we really need to be compassionate when we're talking to parents and we need to be compassionate when we're talking to clients, period. I mean, I think that's one thing that our field is getting better at now. And, you know, we're, we're more enlightened about that. Um, I could probably go on about this all day. You know, the other thing is in terms of this whole, you know, ABA movement, ABA is cruel, ABA is conversion therapy, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I could go off on a tangent about that too, but I, I, I need to say, you know, what we're practicing isn't, you know, we're doing ABA to improve lives, you know, of individuals, not because we're trying to fix people or change who they are. No, we want to really just make sure that they have basic life skills to get by, right? So, you know, in ABA, I teach things like getting dressed independently, you know, going to the bathroom independently, um, you know, advocating for yourself, um, getting that language, comprehending language, etc., to improve the lives of individuals we work with and to improve the lives of parents who are these care, you know, who are caregivers for these children with autism. And I think that's one thing our field needs to get even better with is making sure that we're disseminating that information that we're not trying to change people. Yay. We're really trying to improve the, you know, improve their lives by giving them valuable life skills. Yeah, that's great. And that's hopefully what people will learn from, you know, how to ABA and the whole dissemination and, you know, the difference between good ABA and what was potentially old ABA. So yeah, I think the field could really do a lot better and, and we hope to help them change that. Um, okay. So we're all about the practical, you know, we want to give people practical advice. So if you could, um, give a couple really good practical ABA resources that have helped you, your go-tos, what, what are your best practical tips? Howtoaba.com. <laughs> Besides that, you mean? Well, um, that was, that's an obvious one, but I'm saying like <laughs> someone just starting out, if they already are a member of how to ABA, what else should they get? Um, probably a few things. I mean, you know, the ABLES, the VB map, those two are, or should be a given. Um, I really, really like the early start Denver model. And there's something called the ESDM early start for parents. And I think it's like 12 to $15 and it's an orange book and it is 
awesome. And what's really great about that is that you can start at part two, which is, you know, the fourth chapter, I think. And it just gives you, you know, practical advice for working with really, really young kids who are first diagnosed. You know, it talks about getting down to their eye level and, you know, doing this and really trying to promote joint attention. And here's how. Um, And what's really great at the end of each chapter, they have refrigerator tips and the refrigerator tips are, okay, here's point form, five tips of here's what you can do. And what's really great and what I tell parents is read just that chapter, just that chapter, do the refrigerator tips. Once your child's master that, come back and read the next chapter. So it's not so overwhelming. You just need to do one at a time. Um, I think the other resource that I that I use a lot is um, BoardMaker. Um, BoardMaker is an online software that you can create picture symbols with and using visuals is key for our students. And obviously kids who can read, you can just use paper and pencil, but for kids who can't read, you know, you want to be able to give them quick visuals and BoardMaker for me does the trick. So for those of you that are, you know, just finding out about us here, um, Shana actually does our monthly CEUs. She's usually the one that presents the material, um, and they're live. So if you can attend live and you get to really ask questions and interact, um, we're also both on the monthly Q and A's, which is another opportunity to interact. But um, I really, you know, highly recommend you all check out the the programs that come from Shana. Um, they'll they'll just make your lives so much easier. <laughs> um, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everyone. So excited to start this podcast. She and I have been talking about this for what, six months to a year now. Like, oh, we should probably do a podcast. Oh, maybe we can do a podcast. Oh, it's not the right time. We're not doing this. And then, you know, another piece of great advice was someone just said, just do it already. Just record your first episode and get it over with and do it. So that's what we're doing. So thanks for tuning in and uh, keep listening. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How To ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.